Welcome back to Bloody Angola, a podcast 142 years in the making. The complete story of America's bloodiest prison. And I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton. I got something to say before we get started. Yes. We are nominated under the People's Choice Podcast Awards for 2023 as under the history section. Love it. Um, as we're nominated as one of the best in the world. So yeah. We need y'all to go. Please go and vote. It's um, pod, podcastawards.com, and they'll have you enter in your email and a password, and that's to stop people from cheating the bots. But you can enter as many times as you want to from different emails. Um, and then they'll send you a confirmation email. But right underneath that, when you're filling in, they'll, they ask you, would you – be a final judge. So what happens is this process, when it closes at the end of this month, they're going to take the top 10 in each category that make the finals. And then like 20,000 of the people that voted, they're going to randomly select them to be final judges. And so if you would check that, that you'll be a final judge, you don't have to judge in every category and you don't have to vote in every category, but, um, you do that, and you go under it, and I've, I've been nominated, and uh, Kelly Jennings has been nominated for Unspeakable, our, our dear friend, for um, at the Adam Curry's People's Choice Podcast Year Award. I've been nominated for Best Male Host in the World for Real Life, Real Crime. Um, both Kelly and I have been nominated under Best True Crime, uh Real Life Real Crime and Real Life Real Crime Daily and the original Real Life Real Crime nominated on drama and storytelling. And the you can also fill out the, the most influential podcaster. And, you know, you, you could do that also. But, oh, and, and Bloody and Gold is nominated under the – we found out last night that Bloody and Gold is also nominated under the Adam – Curry's People's Choice, which is the biggest one, y'all, yeah, the, uh, of the year award. So thank you so much, and we love y'all. It Bowden's going to close uh, in the next thirty first. Yeah, thirty first, and yeah. so huge honor for Bloody Bloody deserves it, and it, it, you know it's a history podcast. Basically, I mean we're telling you the history of America's bloodiest prison. That's right. And so thank you so much. It's such an honor. And I know it's a pain in the ass to take the time to go do that, but it, it really validates what we're doing and gives us a shot in the arm and, and uh, helps us to bring helps in more. Helps us keep going and, and, and bring other, you know, more, more content to you. And speaking of that, our, our Patreon members, thank you so much. We appreciate you. You rock. Uh, couldn't do the show without you. And y'all, look, how old are we now? We're we're in uh well we you know Woody that's a good question it seems we're, like it's been forever yeah but in a good way yeah uh, I think we're coming up on our year yeah it's got to be close to the year I mean like real close. I have to look that up so next it's, episode, it's very I'll tell you very sweet to be nominated at, uh for both at the Adam Curry's People's Choice Award and then um the under the history section it's just a real 
real testament to what we're doing and that y'all love the show so thank you so much 100 percent, and and history we both woody and i are big right. history buffs right. and so that's a cool category for us to right. be uh, nominated in it's different both of us have been nominated for other podcasts right. that we do in the past right. uh but this is this is kind of a cool one because we both just love history and, and we know all y'all do too that's our first one that we've done it together yeah 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 so it means a lot to me too absolutely so. me as well and yeah. so we're gonna get into we brought you some death cha- we brought you a couple episodes with death chamber yeah talking about these uh guys telling a little bit about their crimes and their executions and all that and this is a continuance of that this will be the final death chamber uh that we cover we do have i want to say this before we start uh, for our patron members, we're going to do a bonus episode with the the true final death chamber, which right. is the the last few that we're not going to cover right now here. But after we're done with this, keep in mind this is we've pretty much covered all the people since 1980 that have been executed right. uh, via uh, gruesome gurdy or lethal, lethal injection. injection at Angola. So. We're going to go ahead and start it up, and we're going to tell you first about Alvin Moore. Uh, He was executed by electrocution in 1987. I'm going to tell you a little bit about his case. Uh, And it starts with Aaron Wilson. So Aaron Wilson and his wife, Joanne, and their four-month-old daughter, Regina, lived in Bossier City, Louisiana. Alvin Moore was a former neighbor and co-worker of Aaron's at the uh, Veterans Administration Hospital there. Mm-hmm. On July 9th of 1980, Moore picked up Arthur Lee Stewart Jr. and Dennis Sloan in his uh, automobile. So they're riding around. And at some point, uh, Moore goes to the Wilson's house. And he decides he wants to get some money. They apparently supposedly owed him some money. So according to Salone, who who was with him, Moore knocked on the door and Joanne Wilson answered it. She and Moore talked briefly and Moore entered the house. Five minutes later, Salone followed Moore to the door of the house. The door was slightly ajar and Salone saw Moore and Joanne making sex, as he right. as he would call it, on the floor of the living room. Right. Sloan returned to Moore's automobile, and he was going to tell Stewart about it, what was going on, of course. Man, they're in there doing it on the floor. Stewart and Sloan then entered the house. Moore uh, Moore and a crying Miss Wilson had gone into the bedroom. Uh Uh-oh, she's crying. So it's, yeah, where baby Regina was also crying. Moore was going crazy, ransacking the house. Joanne Wilson was described as panicky and scared. She also appeared to be frightened of Moore. So Salone in testimony said that Joanne Wilson said, take whatever you want, just get out of my house. Right. Salone also testified that Miss Wilson asked Moore not to hurt her or her child. After being threatened, Miss Wilson gave Moore a box of Kennedy half dollars. Salone took a white bucket with $18.80 in pennies. Nice. And Stewart took some stereo components. This is back in the days yeah, when, when they had to high five. Right. Exactly. Sloan and Stewart left the house and heard Joanne Wilson screaming behind them. Moore runs out of the house five minutes later. He's carrying a knife in his hand. Stewart testified that this was the same knife that Moore had on the back seat of his car when the, the when the group drove up to the house. Hmm. Moore told Stewart and Sloan, "I'm fixing to trip y'all out. I stabbed that bitch nine times." Right. The three then jo- drove to Church's Fried Chicken and McDonald's. Hmm. Joanne Wilson. Pennies, probably. Yeah. Uh, Joanne Wilson managed to call the police 911. The call was received by the Bossier City Police Department. A unit got dispatched, and a patrolman arrives at the house two minutes later. He knocked on the front door, but Joanne Wilson said she was unable to open it. He kicked the door in and found blood, of course, all over the living room. Officer Fields found Miss Wilson lying in the bed in the bedroom, and both rooms were in disarray. The victim was nude from the waist down, was bleeding from her vagina, chest, and arms. She was having difficulty breathing and told Officer Fields she was dying. He asked her who stabbed her, and she responded, Elvin. 
Fields asked her, that was the patrolman, if she knew Elvin, and she replied he was a black guy that used to live down the street. It was obvious to Fields that Miss Wilson was dying, and she died about 10 minutes later. So they go, they arrest Moore at 1 a.m. the next morning. Of course, they find those stereo components we told you about. The white bucket and pennies were found in the trunk of his car. So they had all the evidence there. Uh, He goes through trials. He's found guilty, and he was executed in 1987. Uh, Moore made no final statement to the public. His attorney said his last words were to him, in which he said, they can kill my body, but they can't kill my soul. You better hope your soul was right. Yep. Your soul might be headed somewhere you don't want to be. You were playing God when you killed uh, your victim that's after right you raped her and stabbed her and, and all that it's crazy Absolutely. Yeah, these stories y'all are disturbing but you know what these are death penalty cases and there's a reason we have the death penalty some people don't deserve to breathe i'm gonna tell you about benjamin barry okay and um on january 30th 1978 Benjamin Barry and David Pennington drove from Baton Rouge to Metairie, which is about a 40, 45-minute drive, Metairie being on the outskirts of New Orleans, y'all, um, with the intention of robbing the Metairie Bank and Trust Company. Barry entered the bank and drew a 9mm automatic pistol, and there was an exchange of gunfire between Barry and Cochran. Now, Cochran was the Jefferson Parish deputy sheriff working as a guard in the bank and y'all that's a common thing they they uh, uh, work extra duty is what it's called their side jobs and when they started shooting uh, Barry fired three shots and uh, Cochran fired one shot Cochran's shot struck Barry in the lower left chest and then two of Barry's shots struck Cochran in the shoulder and the neck causing Cochran to die Mm. Barry and Pennington fled the scene and hauled ass back to Baton Rouge where they were both arrested. Now, Barry was indicted for first-degree murder. So, goes through, uh, and naturally, he gets found guilty. I mean, it's pretty, pretty, I don't know if they had, what type of surveillance cameras they had in, in, in 78, January third, probably not too great. Yeah, but you got a lot of eyewitnesses, yeah. right? And and I'm sure they they did whatever, you know, because death penalty cases they have to have a lot of shit. But they he was indicted for murder, found guilty, and Benjamin Barry was executed on June seventh, nineteen eighty seven. So what nine years after. Um, and Barry was convicted in the fatal shooting of Robert Cochran, the off-duty JPSO deputy I told y'all about. And um, guess what, Jim? He made no final statement. But I'm going to read y'all uh, an article from the New York Times dated June the 8th, 1987. It says, A high school dropout condemned for murdering a guard in a bank robbery was put to death early today in Louisiana's electric chair. Oh, gruesome Gertie. Gruesome Gertie. Benjamin Barry, 31 years old, was executed shortly after midnight, said C. Paul Phelps, Secretary of the Department of Corrections in Baton Rouge. He was the 76th prisoner executed in the United States and the 8th in Louisiana since the United States Supreme Court allowed states to restore the death penalty in 1976. Mr. Barry's appeals ran out late Friday when the Supreme Court refused to stop the execution. And oh, buddy of mine, and and dear friend of my dad, good, bad, and different, and my mom served on the parole board underneath him, and Governor Evan W. Edwards yep. refused to pardon him, right? And he wouldn't step in. Apparently, Mr. Barry had already accepted that. His sentence would not be stayed. And on Thursday, he asked the warden at the state prison in Angola to move him off a of death row to the isolation cell down the hall from the electric chair so he could be alone. Mr. Barry was convicted in 1978 of, of killing Robert Cochran, a bank guard, in a bank robbery in Metairie on January 30th, 1978. This was his eighth execution date. The others had been canceled by appeals. He spent Saturday visiting members of his family, the prison warden, Hilton Butler, said, 
About 30 people held a candlelight vigil in front of the governor's mansion in Baton Rouge to protest the execution, and roughly a dozen people gathered for similar protests in New Orleans. Several death penalty supporters gathered outside the prison's front gate. They wore shirts lettered with the message, message, Justice for All, Even the Victims. The execution was the first of five scheduled in Louisiana in the next two weeks and the first in the state since January 4th, 1985. Wow. Oh, uh, all Governor Everest didn't play. He's no. like, uh, you want a what? Yeah. Ride the lightning, bitch. And I heard you say Hilton Butler in yeah, the Hilton Butler, another the, the um we you know we talked about Miss Ann before and yeah. everything and and my mama knows them all and the, well his uh, right uh, there grew up in St Francisville or they live I think they still live lived there at they, when I was in school they were still living there they and they I believe they still do as a matter of fact the son of Hilton Butler is a listener of Bloody Angola shout out who was also uh, uh, lifelong uh, Angola employed correctional, correctional officer, and um, and has reached out to us a few times, to, mainly fact checking. <laughs> yeah, right. so uh, yeah, and that's cool because uh, the history doesn't mean you know that's everything right, that comes right. out of books isn't always right. It's definitely not uh, as valid as the people who lived it. That's right. Yeah. So uh, so we'd love to have him on the show. Yeah, and I know you're listening. Absolutely. Shout out to you. Hey, shout out to all of you. Uh, Correctional officers at, at, at Bloody Angola and in the past and in you know current and the wardens and the, and everybody else. Right? Yeah, a lot of them listen to us, right, right. and and they do reach out and let us know. So uh, the next guy we're going to tell you about is David Dean Morton or Danae Morton, uh, and he was a killer of four minimum here. Uh, he killed these four people in Terrebonne Parish. Terrebonne down south. Down south. And uh, he was executed by electrocution in 1985 as well. So a lot of 85s in there. Um, And we're going to give you the facts of the case. In 1977, David Martin, wife, uh, Gloria, began to work in a restaurant lounge owned by Bobby Todd who was a victim the next day she had sexual relations with Todd. Uh, That's not good. The following day, she informed her husband of this fact. Uh, yeah. Yeah. She refused Martin's request that she quit working for Todd. So oh basically she goes home, says I'm sleeping with uh, my boss and my boss. And he says, he says you well, you got to quit. quit. And, and she like, says, nah, nah. I'm not going to quit. So my benefits. yeah, that night Martin goes and he steals a friend's Colt Python 357 mag. That's a bad pistol. Yeah. The second largest, it used to be the second largest caliber in the world. So to make matters worse, the firearm was loaded with hollow point bullets and Martin later purchased an additional box of shells for it. On August 13th. Shit, it's a revolver. How many bullets? Yeah. How many bullets you need? Yeah. <laughs> Mike said he's going to kill them good. Mike killed them <laughs> good. Mike would say. Killed them good. On August 13th, Martin visited his next door neighbor, Raven Rushing, and Martin told Rushing he was going to shoot Todd. He explained that he was jealous of his wife's relationship with Todd. Right. On August 14th of that year, Martin told another friend, Chester Golden, that his wife was working at the restaurant and would not quit. He indicated that he had a bone to pick with Todd and had waited for the last two nights outside Todd's restaurant for an opportunity to get Todd. Uh, So he's telling everybody about this. Martin showed Golden the stolen pistol. He told Golden that because he stole the gun from a felon, its theft would not be reported. True. Uh, Golden told Martin that he looked pretty drug out. And had lost weight. Martin replied that he had been up for two nights and had not been eating. Mm. That evening, uh, according to accounts he later gave, Martin drove to the vicinity of the trailer in which Todd lived. He parked down the road from the trailer so he could approach it in the guise of a hitchhiker on foot. So he's pretending like he's hitchhiking. He entered the trailer and he confronted Todd, who offered him a roll of bills. (laughs) You know, here, let me give you some money and... Uh, banging your wife. Yeah. Uh, so Martin, he ignored that. He basically said, I just want you to know my name. 
Then he shoots Todd twice in the chest. Wow. He proceeded to shoot three other people in the trailer. Wow. Todd's bodyguard, he had a bodyguard, mm. and two nude females. What? They must have been doing something so in there. Come something. in, yeah. Uh, so Martin inflicted multiple bullet wounds on each of those four. One of the women was first wounded in the abdomen. She told Martin she was in pain, begged him to finish her. He shot her in the head and killed her. Wow. Martin then took the roll of money to make it look like a robbery and left. Around 8 p.m., he returns to Golden's home. He was excited. So he asked Golden, he says, take a ride with me. Yeah. During the ride, he tells Goldman, I killed four people at the restaurant. Martin said he had not touched anything, and although the authorities might suspect him, they had no proof that he committed those. So he's, right. although the fact that he told right, 1,500 right, people, right. right? Martin confessed to four more people that night. He had told one of them, Pamela Wilson, that he had thrown the gun in the bayou. Martin was arrested a short time later. The sheriff who made the arrest told reporters that Martin appeared strung out on dope at the time. Probably was. Martin's brother retained an attorney, a Texas attorney, with 10 years criminal experience and some experience with capital cases. The attorney associated a Louisiana lawyer with limited criminal experience and no experience in capital offenses. most of the times, even big shot attorneys come out of state because they're not licensed to practice under Napoleonic Code of Law. They have to get local representation, and then they can take over the case and act under that guy's license. Yeah, there you go, and that looks that is definitely what happened right. here. And using the words "walk me" or "fry me," Martin told counsel in the first meeting to either seek a full acquittal or the death penalty. Right. So how do you like that? Walt me or fry me? Yeah. He didn't want to spend time right. in jail, right. in other words. Right. Well, I got kind of respect for that, actually. So uh, they decided to fry him. Right. And David Martin was executed on January 4th, 1985. He was convicted, obviously, of all four of those murders. That's quadruple murder, y'all. Yeah. Uh, all of them, of course, being shot to death. And that mobile home, in case you're curious, that was near a, uh, a, a town called Homa. Yeah, yeah, you know, well, which is way down Paris south. Yeah, and down south, you know, actually where I drive through it every couple of weeks to go fishing. Yep, and and uh, he was for sure a drug addict. That came out, you know, during his trial. He made no final statement during his execution, but a pardon board uh, clemency hearing that the afternoon before his death, Martin said. To take someone's life is out of character for me. It's not David Martin. I am devastated when I'm done, but I can't remember it. My life has been dedicated to saving lives, helping people, not destroying people. I know I wouldn't willingly take another person's life. Something bad went down, but it's not me. It wasn't right. I don't know. That's all. That's what uh, he said. You know, just uh, hey, idiot. You didn't just take one. You took four. Four. Right? And, and you know, that's a really – really interesting point um one of the mitigating circumstances in any death penalty case in in the series i'm starting next week i'm not going to give the name up yet uh it's 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 death penalty cases and one of the and i don't get this and i don't understand it and maybe they change the law or something but if you're high and and you commit a death penalty um infraction if you will then they can use that in a death penalty phase to get you off yeah and and i don't get that i believe i I believe you chose to get fucking high and whatever you do did after that you're still responsible for it yeah Yeah. and and, you know what another thing with that case is is uh and i noticed this with a lot of cases uh when you have a crime of passion of some sort and even though this wasn't against you know, it was because of his wife. It right. wasn't against his wife. But it, it seems like these killings are more overboard. They're yeah. overkill, oh, yeah, if you yeah, will. Yeah. Well, uh, and he can't say he didn't plan it out because he bought bullets and he stole the gun. He told everybody ahead told of time. Everybody. And I don't care how high you were, you, you weren't high for that long. Right. But, I mean, it you know, certainly raises in some questions when – and not victim shaming or blaming, but homie had two bodyguards and and two bodyguards. Well, he had a bodyguard, a bodyguard, two, two, two new females, females with him. Yeah, it must have been a titty bar or something. I don't know. Shame, shame that happened. Um, 
he didn't give any like final last words other than nope. just to the pardon board. Yeah, just to the pardon board. Yeah. Nothing at the actual execution itself. Yeah, well, very interesting. I did not know about that case. I may have to look into it uh, some more one day. I have some good friends down there. And, you know, anytime you have something, especially from – and home is not that small now, but – the the an older crime like this scenario like that you can go to that town and find somebody that's of that age range and they'd be like holy shit I can tell you everything oh yeah right? yeah so, all point. right let me take you to the next one Ernest Knighton all right and Ernest Knighton y'all he was from Bozier Parish or the the crime occurred in Bozier Parish and. Jim talked on the first one at Bossier Parish and, and Shreveport. They're just right across the river from each other, y'all. That li- Literally, the river separates the two. And it's in the far northwestern corner of the state of Louisiana. Literally, when you leave Shreveport, I think it's like 15, 20 miles to the Texas line. But let me tell you about Ernest Knighton. The, um, and the facts are taken from the testimony of Miss Michelle, who was the victim's wife, and are as follows. Mr. and Mrs. Shell were working at the FEMA station on Benton and Shed Road in Bossier City between 8 and 8.30 p.m., and the defendant and another man, Anthony White, walked into the station. White asked for a pack of cigarettes and gave Miss Shell a dollar bill. Well, this tells you how long ago it was, y'all. This was a, 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 it was murder, and it was on March seventeenth, nineteen eighty-one. I was eleven. I don't know if I was smoking yet, but I was probably getting ready to place. <laughs> dollar pack was saying about right on the price. And anyway, he gave Miss Shell a dollar bill, and when she returned his change, so they were even cheaper than a dollar. He walked around the service counter and told her, "This is a stick up." holding a gun, um, the defendant also went behind the counter and asked Mr. Shell where the money was kept. Mr. Shell, who had been talking on the telephone, went into the small room in the back of the station to retrieve the money and gave it to the defendant, who had followed him into the room. Miss Shell heard a shot. Mr. Shell was wounded. And from her location, Michelle could not actually see her husband, but said that he offered no resistance and said nothing to provoke the defendant into shooting him. Mm. The defendant then ran out and told uh, White to bring Michelle along with him. Anthony White grabbed Michelle, who broke loose at the doorway, and retreated back inside the station and locked the door, which then separated her from the two thieves. Mr. Shell died as a result of shock from blood loss from the single gunshot wound through the arm, abdomen, chest. That's a hell of a shot. Yeah. Arm, abdomen, chest. Maybe it went. Maybe he was standing above him. Something like the John F. Kennedy yeah, shot. Right. Or went into the magic book. The but governor. He had to be above him or something. Maybe he's getting out of the safe. That's the only way, the way you can get that angle. That's crazy. The, uh, so, additional testimony by Wanda Smith, a woman who had driven with the defendant Anthony White and another man, Wayne Harris, to the FEMA station, revealed that the defendant and White ran from the station, jumped into the car, and had Wanda Smith drive to a motel and get a room. There, an argument over the, uh, the money began, and mm-hmm. waving the gun he used to shoot Mr. Shell. Ernest Knighton stated in Wanda's presence that the man's hand looked like it was fixing the move, so I had to shoot him. So, that, y'all, that all comes from the trial, and, and actually, um, naturally, he was found guilty. And so, Ernest Knighton Jr. was executed on October the 30th, 1984. Knighton was Convicted of the shooting and death of Ralph Shell, a Bossier City service station proprietor, during an attempted robbery on March 17, 1981. I want you to notice how fast these executions were. Yeah. This is three years. And yeah. the other one was the, the longest one we did today was nine years. Now they don't execute them anymore. Yeah. And I mean, I've covered and we've covered the people been on death row 28 years plus years like that. Fuck that. They just need to kill them. The, um, so they get Knighton into Gruesome Gertie, 
strap them down and you know we told y'all about the tie down teams and all that and uh basically drug them in strapped them down and they say hey dude right they say dude they breathe the death warrant no they might have yeah right (laughs) they breathe the death warrant you've been sentenced to death by the state of louisiana do you have any final words and this is what he said he said i am sorry more sorry than i can say mr shell is dead and that I am responsible. I feel sorry for Miss Shell and all of Miss Shell's family and friends. I feel sorry for my mother, my family, and everyone else who will grieve for me. I have asked God to forgive me. I have to say that what you are doing is wrong. If I thought my death would bring back Mr. Shell or save someone else from a murder, I would volunteer, but I know it won't work. You don't teach respect for life by killing. I urge you not to kill anyone else. I ask God to forgive you for killing me. I now ask God in the name of Jesus to receive my spirit. He had me on the first part, yeah, lost me on the second. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, I'm, I'm glad he took responsibility but, but and when admitted. he started in on the, you know, uh, I forgive you for killing me. Hey, yeah. They were doing their job, dude. They didn't make you go into that bank and rob, rob them and all that. That's right. But yeah, it's a, um, I don't know, but at least he. At least he tried to say something. But let's talk about the death penalty for a minute. Yep. So when I was in college and studying criminal justice, the they talked about criminal deterrence. How do you stop crime, right? Mm-hmm. And one of them, the ultimate one, being the death penalty. The but the studies have proven for a crime deterrent to be effective, it has to be swift and certain, meaning that. You know, if you leave here today and you go and Lori Johnson, best banker chick in the world, Hancock Whitney, right down the street, that's where I do all my shit. But the, <laughs> uh, if you go in that bank and you kill someone, and and you know, I mean, you're on camera, you're going to get convicted, et cetera. Um, but nowadays, you're going to go sit for 28 years and appeals on death row and all that. It's not effective yeah. as a deterrent. Now, if let's take it, we don't live in this world. Let's let's put you in Woody's world. If you walked in the bank and you did it, and they caught your ass and they put you to the nearest tree and strung you the fuck up, yeah, that's gonna stop the normal person. A lot keeps an honest man honest, right? Yeah, and uh, that would certainly deter people more than what you do now because even like the Manson murderers, right? Then dude got out of prison yesterday or a chick got out of prison yesterday. Yeah. But the it has to be swift and certain. The problem with our justice system is it is nothing if not slow. Yeah. It, the wheels of justice turn slow as they say and and uh I agree I agree a hundred percent. And you know they they have uh a lot of technology now that they didn't have then. And, and look, we've done, uh, we have another series that we do every now and then that talks about exonerations. And, right, right. and uh, certainly those happen. Certainly, uh, you know, you never want to think about people being sentenced to death that did, that did not commit yeah. a crime, but well, it, it's I'm happened. Sure, I'm sure it's happened. And well, they've probably committed some crime. They just, yeah. It's not that one. Right. Right. And, and uh, so it, it certainly does happen but uh, the good thing about technology these days is it's it's almost you know it's almost impossible to get away with something very long like it used to be and i think about uh serial killers in particular because dna has come so far you could you almost can't breathe on somebody without being able to figure out who it was right and and when and when i started we we couldn't even get dna done right but i i'll take it a step further and it just trips me out because I think about it every day, everywhere I go, because what you told me, and and that is that you're on camera up to it. It's, it's like 46 times per day on yeah, average. On average, yeah. right? So any, everywhere you go, you're on camera. But now that's 46 average. If you go, you're somewhere and you're showing your ass, now look at how many videos going viral. Everybody wants to shoot a video and post shit. Yeah. And so they, they, not only the advances in technology and DNA and forensics and the familiar DNA and, you know, just everything, the, 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 
the computers they use to re- reenact crime scenes and to trace the bullets and everything else. All this technology, as it gets better, but you also have all these cameras and mm. people are more aware, and you have social media now, which shit you didn't have back in the 80s. Mm-mm. The internet wasn't invented. Yeah, so yeah. when you when you're looking for a suspect, the sheriff's office can just post that on social media right. and, and automatically thousands and thousands of people see it. Yeah, Back in the right. day when when Woody was doing cases, right. you had yeah, to go door yeah. to door sometimes. You had to go to door every time and and you waited and you had to haul ass. I can tell you so many cases that I had to haul ass to channel two, channel thirty three and channel nine to get them the the press release before they went on air at six o'clock or nine o'clock or not nine o'clock ten o'clock or whatever this is before fox was even in baton rouge sure and the, um so that's was that was it that's yeah. all you had and you only have a small percentage of the population that watches the fucking news the yeah. local news and, and great point so but as as the uh and, and i agree with you so certainly went on anybody be wrongfully executed and we've We've talked about and given shout outs on the stories that people who have been exonerated. But as the technology advances, as the DNA advances, the so do the crimes and the defenses for the crimes, meaning that there's no more respect for life. Yeah. Everybody just thinks you pull the trigger and there's no consequence, right? They have never worked a homicide scene. They've never had to sit with a crime family and, and, and all that. But more importantly the defense, right? Mm. Because all these trials and all these cases that come in the years before, these lawyers are learning about it in law school. Yeah. And if you choose to do the criminal path, you're going to know about it. And then all these cases have been cited. So you have volumes and volumes and volumes of more information, just like the DNA is so far advanced now and all these other um, crime fighting techniques. The defense has so many more techniques to use Absolutely. Against the prosecution, and that's why we got people like the one guy who's the second longest living on death row. And damn it, I can't remember his name. That uh, he and his he and his lover um, murdered that little boy and raped him right here. Yeah, you did it on the river, you, and I did a, did a story on that. that. But he's he's been on Real death row like twenty nine years now. The other dude, the, his accomplice was on death row. Fuck, he died of natural causes. Yeah, I mean, this dude's like eighty years old now, something like that. The, uh, so it is what it is, and we want to bring y'all this series. And Jim's got one more. Yeah, and then the 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 Boone series will be locked up for patron patrons. members. So we're going to tell you about Elmo Sanye. Yeah, and that name. yeah, yeah, and so many of you, it may click, and we'll tell you after we 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 do this particular segment and why uh, it did click for you. And Elmo Sanye was executed in 1984 uh, by electrocution, gruesome, gruesome uh, Give you the facts of the case on the evening of November 4th, 1977. David LeBlanc, who was 16, and Loretta. Ann Bork, who was 18, attended a high school football game. Later that evening, the couple, they go park in a remote area of St. Martin Parish. Look, back in those days, that was parking, right? right, you, right. you know, you Submarine take your girlfriend and, and you go somewhere and you go, make out a little bit. You go by the LSU Lakes and call it the submarine races. <laughs> what are you doing here, son? Watch the submarine Watch races. Watch the submarine races, yeah. So they go to, uh, they go parking, I guess you could say, and, and, uh, that area of St. Martin Parish, it was kind of like a lover's lane. That's kind of right. where everybody, you know, it's pretty little lake, and the girls would feel romantic, right. think it was romantic right. or whatnot. Later that night, approximately 1 a.m., Elmo Patrick uh, and Eddie James Sanye were rabbit hunting together, and they come across a couple's car. Rabbit hunting at night, huh, Woody? Yeah, right. That's not legal. Yeah. <laughs> Using a badge, one of the brothers had obtained while working as a security guard and both armed with twenty two caliber rifles, the two uh, approach and enter LeBlanc's car. The victims were informed they were trespassing and that they would have to be brought to the landowner to determine if that landowner wanted to press charges. Now, this is young right, kids, right? right. So they be- they, they believe that. Yeah. 
they also confiscate each teen's driver's license to kind of further their act of right. we're the cops. Your license, registration. Yep. Miss um, Bork and Mr. LeBlanc were then handcuffed and placed in the back seat of their own car. And they brought handcuffs too. Brought handcuffs. They were, you know, which tells you. Yeah, they fucking This right wasn't their right. first rodeo. Yeah. Uh, leaving their own car behind, the Sanye brothers take the teen's car and they basically drive the couple 21 miles to a remote oil field located in Iberia Parish. And Iberia Parish, y'all, this is oil field country. Right, right. Uh, everybody just about in Iberia Parish works in the oil fields. Right, except for Tabasco. Yeah, except for Tabasco. That's right. The other famous Iberia uh, employer. Uh, now, this is an area that was well known to the defendants. Once at the oil field, both victims were removed from the car. David LeBlanc was taken to the woods, and they handcuffed him to a tree. Loretta Bork was taken a short distance away, and she was raped by Elmo Sanye. She then reluctantly agreed to have inter- intercourse with Eddie Sanye on the condition that they would release her and Mr. LeBlanc afterwards. Upon completion of the rapes, Patrick Sanye removed the handcuffs and brought them back to the road where they were parked. At that point, Patrick Sanye told his brother, you know, he starts freaking out, and he says, I'm going to be sent back to Angola. Oh, shit. It's exact quote. Uh, he had done some time in Angola. Should the victims notify police? So David LeBlanc and Loretta Bork were then forced to lie side by side face down and each were shot three times at close range in the Mm. back of the head. Mm. So execution style Mm. pretty much. Uh, The Sanyes then drove LeBlanc's vehicle back to the original site where the couple was first accosted in order to pick up their own vehicle. Remember they left that at the scene. Uh, They get there and the car has a flat tire. The brothers use a jack from the LeBlanc vehicle. And this is important. They used that jack to apply a spare tire, and that jack was later seized by police from the trunk of Sanye's car. So they just, there's your evidence. Right. The, these two rocket scientists yeah. use a jack. And then put it in, in, the, the, in their own car. Yeah. Dumbass. Yeah, so the brothers then destroyed the victim's driver's license, and they follow, in the following day, the rifles, uh, they disposed of those. They actually buried them in remote areas. Uh, investigations also revealed that between 30 and $40 uh, were stolen from the victims prior to the, uh, uh, prior to the arrest. They, they noticed this money missing. And of course they tied that back to them. The Sanyes were arrested on December 5th of 1977, following a tip from a local man who reported seeing the blue Dodge dart parked in a remote area during the, early morning hours of November 5th. They were advised of the rights taken to the sheriff's office in New Iberia. And there, Patrick Sonia, he starts singing like a canary, mm-hmm. signs uh, verbal and written confessions, and was transferred to the parish prison. While I'm rude, he starts making other statements to the officer. So he's he's singing. Uh, the following day, he even agrees to let him videotape a confession, and all three statements indicated that Patrick had participated in the abduction and had personally shot them. The police, after the basic directions from Patrick Sanye, recovered the two rifles that he buried. Uh, ballistic test indicated that the bullets taken from the victim's head and brass casings were from that Those actual rifles. rifle. So they've got everything they need. Right. Um. The defendant and his brother, they get indicted on two accounts of first-degree murder. And in 1978, uh, you know, they basically get a court. Of course, they plead not guilty because they have nothing to lose. Right, right. Uh, but they do get convicted. And uh, and so they get executed. And um, we're going to read you. I'm going to read you just a Times Picayune, which Times Picayune is the major newspaper in New Orleans, right? Huge, huge newspaper there. New Orleans and Mississippi area. Huh. Um, and in 1984, uh, they they got executed. Sonia gets executed for that dope, double murder, and this is Elmo Sonia. Uh, he was convicted of the slangs of Loretta Bork and her fiance, David LeBlanc. Uh, he was the third person executed in Louisiana in four months at that time. 
Robert Wayne Williams was executed December 14th for killing a Baton Rouge supermarket guard, and he was the first person executed since 1961. So there was a big they, delay was, between uh, 61 yeah, and the moratorium on it. Yep. So, um, so basically, when they got out of that moratorium, they started executing everybody. Out. Yeah, we got Tired some people waiting you. in line. Tired of feeding you. That's right. That's right. And uh, at that time, uh, Woody and listeners, Ross Maggio was the yeah. warden at uh, Angola, and he said that Sonia spent his last day with Sister Helen Prejean, a New that's Orleans right. nun. Right. who served as a spiritual advisor and a female friend who was a lawyer but not involved in his case. The condemned man ate a steak dinner and was kept up to date as the five courts turned down his 11, 11th hour pleas of stay. So right. when you get executed, you know, you basically have that last 24 hours is spent by your attorneys trying right. to get everyone to stay right. your execution. Um, so he he didn't have any of that. Uh, and they went on with it as he was led to the execution chamber. He looked at, uh, LeBlanc and said, Mr. LeBlanc, LeBlanc's the, the father basically of, of LeBlanc that was shot and killed. He says, I can understand the way you feel. I have no hatred in my heart as I leave this world. And I ask God to forgive what I have done. He then asked LeBlanc for forgiveness. Immediately after, Godfrey Bork, the father of the other victim, who also witnessed, said he didn't ask me, which is, uh, you know, he obviously and rightfully felt offended for that. Uh, both fathers sat expressionless with their arms crossed as the execution was carried out. They declined to talk to reporters afterwards. Sonia's last words were addressed to Prejean. He said, I love you. And she replies, I love you, too. Sonia, wearing blue jeans and a blue shirt, was then strapped to the death chair. Witnesses said he appeared to be smiling. At 12.07, his body was jolted with 2,000 volts of electricity, followed by 500 volts for 10 seconds. The 2,000 volts was for 20. What? The sequence was repeated, and there was no movement after the second jolt. So as Woody has uh has told us in the past on this show, you know, they don't right. just lift that lever and, and jolt you one time. Exactly. They leave it up, pull it down. Leave it up, pull it down. And twenty seconds is a long time. It's a long time, man. Um but you know, uh his victims didn't even get that right. last twenty yeah. seconds, right? Uh, sick. So can you imagine laying side by side and and you you, you pretty much know they're gonna kill you, but then you hear three shots from one rifle, and one of who the boy or the girl got shot first. What was the other one thinking? Yeah, I mean, you know, you're dead. That's a yeah. You went to went to your death, scared to death, right. you know, and and that's just horrible. Um, and so you may have obviously you recognize Helen Prejean if you've listened to our right. show, and this guy, these brothers, the Sonye brothers, as well as. Uh, uh, Robert Wayne uh, Williams, right. they were that was the character for uh, Dead Man Walking, basically, right. where they based they that character it was really off of two right. Right. separate people. Yeah. And uh, and so in the opening scenes of Dead Man Walking, that's where it shows right. that Lover's Lane murder that right. we just told you about. And so it was a real deal. So Sister Helen Prejean, real person. She's still alive to this day. Um, and regardless of where you sit on the death penalty, her heart's in the right place. Right. Um, right. She, you know, and and I don't fault her. We we may not see eye to eye on certain right. things, but I think she's a wonderful human being. Yeah, yeah, she is. Um, and uh, and still alive to this day. And we'd love to have you on the show. Yeah, sister. if you happen to be listening, Sister yeah. Prajan, we'd love to have you I on and share your views. I know her. I know someone. Yeah, I, I, that would be a great show. Yeah, it really yeah. would. So, so if you know her out there, and you know, get word to her that we love. We come to her if she yeah. needs us to. Yeah. No problem. Uh, and so that is a wrap on that series we are going to have for you patron members we're going to have the just uh, a few 
that we're going to do just for you guys. Uh, the final, final, I think it's four or five that we have left to feature on that series just for you guys. And right. they, we saved some good ones the for you, patron members. And, and if you want to become a patron, go to Patreon and type in Bloody Angola. Yep. Right. Yep. That's all you got to do. It'll pull it up. We have several different tiers. Of course, we, you know, I know a lot of y'all like those transcriptions. We do transcribe right. all those right. episodes uh, just for patron members. And uh, we, we put them in PDF format. So you can download those. You can actually print them out and you can read them like a book. Right. Right. So some people like to read. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, I still like to read too. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think it, that's a pretty genius idea. Absolutely. Actually. And don't forget, as we mentioned at the beginning, vote, vote, vote. Go. Hey, Mom, I know you're listening to this because you love Bloody Angola. And yes. I know you read every single night. Yes. Uh, if you. She, my mom likes it. She's in, Love it. in her early, well, I won't tell her age, but she works out every day still. Yeah. and, and uh, But she listens to us when she works out. Miss Overton, we appreciate and, you. And, uh, but Thank she you. likes to read more. Yeah. So, mom, you She's get, a sharp lady. You, you can get to that, the PDF of... Uh, that's right so. that's right hey, we love all y'all thank you so much we appreciate you you rock thank you again for getting getting us nominated for best history podcast and then the overall best in the world adam curry's people's choice go to podcastforwards.com and vote for us if you would please we've only got i think less than two weeks left yeah yeah so, so anyway, hey just to make to be nominated as, as fire to make the finals would be sweet to win it all blessing right blessing total blessing right. and uh we love you appreciate all of y'all very much until next time i'm jim chapman and i'm woody overton your host of bloody angola a podcast 142 years in the making a complete story of america's bloodiest prison peace, peace. Yeah.